Welcome back, dear listeners, to the latest episode of the podcast series, The Way Out Is In. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems evolution. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk, the student of Zen Master Thich Han in the Plum Village tradition in France. And we are very fortunate today, aren't we, Brother? Yes, we are. So we have a special guest, Sister Den Yim, who has just returned from Vietnam, where she's been looking after Thai during the last years of his life. The way out is in. Dear listeners, I am Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fab Hu. And Sister Dinyam, welcome to our podcast series. Good afternoon, everyone. So, Brother Fab Hu, do you want to give us a brief inter- introduction? Because Sister Dinyam is a bit of a legend, isn't she? She is. Today, sitting with us in the sitting still hut in Plum Village, Upper Hamlet, I am with my elder sister, Sister Dinyam, which... Uh, translate into sister concentration. She was ordained in 1993 when she was only 24 years old. And she is a legend because she was the first young abbess of the new hamlet in Plum Village in year 2000. And actually, I go way back with Sister Denny. My first year in 1996, I was just a child and she took care of me in Middle Hamlet and Lower Hamlet. And so I've known her since 1996. And when I became an abbot, I was very young. So I also took Sister Denim as a role model in how to become a good abbot. Yeah. Sister Denim, welcome. And um, it'd be lovely to know a little bit about your history, because I think you started coming here as a child. So tell us about your journey to become a monastic of Plum Village. I follow my parents to come to Plum Village during the summer retreat. And at that time, I didn't care about the practice. I came and had fun with other teens, other kids. And the only thing I did was to read Thai's books. Um, I came for fun. I didn't practice at all, but somehow... One day I um, wrote, I, I don't know why, I love the Buddha. And I remember I still have the letter that Thay wrote me back. Thay wrote me back, Oh, I think that after you read O Path White Cloud, you will love the Buddha even more. And it was true. After reading it, I really fell in love with the Buddha. So I continued to read Thay's books. I went to Thay's Dhamma talks. Uh, I went to Thay's public talks from time to time when Thay went to Paris. I was not a practitioner still. And uh, until one day my father suddenly passed away and I was deeply in pain. My mother, my older sisters, my older brother, 
and I, we all suffered. But at that time, I was very confident. Right away, I thought of Thai, and I was confident that the practice can help me. The practice could help me. So I wrote another letter to Thai, telling Thai that how come my father passed away, and I did what you told me to do. I looked at my hand to see my father in my hand. But still, I suffer. I continue to suffer. And the next summer, I went back to Plum Village. I enjoy the summer retreat for a week. The next winter, I went back again, and then a few months later, I went back and I decided to become a nun. And what was it, sister, about your decision to? Really spend your life with the practice. At that time, I thought that wow, I am the second youngest in the family. I will have to bear the grief one, two, three, four, five, six times more. Six more times. How can I? How can I bear? And. After reading *O Path White Cloud*, I also thought of becoming a nun. But maybe when I'll be 50 years old, after enjoying life, and at that time I thought that oh, I didn't want to wait until I get 50 years old. So I decided to follow that path, this path. And sister, you you talk about the pain of your father's death and and. This idea that you'll have to carry more pain in your life, and mm. and I'm just wondering, over the period you've been a nun, what is your understanding of that pain? So, if someone were to come to you with the same question now, someone mm. had lost their father, and you say, as Ty said, can you see your father's hand in your hand? And they said, I can still feel the pain. What? What has changed in you? What has matured in you since then? Later, Thay, um, Thay told me, and Thay also shared the practice with other people that you need to look at your hand several times. This is something that you need to practice and cultivate every day. You may have some awakening, but you need to maintain this concentration in your daily life so that. This insight really sinks deep into your body, your deep consciousness, and then you don't suffer. Otherwise, it's still up in your head, in your mental, and then you forget this truth, and then you continue to suffer. So, to to um. The Zen word to transcend birth and death. This is something you cultivate every day. Uh, this concentration, this insight, becomes your life, becomes your way of thinking, and it's not just uh, analyzing or um, thinking from time to time. And brother Fapu, I mean, the, I think what's this denim? raise is something so important about the importance of 
the monastics and Plum Village. Because for most people, they don't, even if you're practicing, you often lead a busy life having to work, having a family, having to buy a house, all the, all the things that come with that. And, and brother, what I think Sister Daniel really spoke of so beautifully was the importance of being able to people who hold this space deeply, who are able to spend years really deepening the practice in order to offer this to others. Can you just say a bit about that? Mm. You know, another word for mindfulness in um, um, Sanskrit, Pali, Chinese, is to recollect. Mindfulness is to, we have to recollect, we have to remember um, what we are meditating on, what we are looking deeply into. So sometimes we we just taste um, a moment of mindfulness, a moment of awareness, and then we think we got it. We think like, yes, I've done it. I'm good for the day. But the, the practice of, of our way of living is to bring it into every minute. So like the insight, like we are the continuation of our father, our mother, our teacher, our sister, our brother, our loved ones. Even while they are alive, we can already practice this. And most of the time, a lot of us, we come to a spiritual dimension, a spiritual practice when suffering comes, which is like we lose someone so dear to us. Um, but what we want people to to cultivate is already the mindfulness, the awareness, remembering of all of the good conditions that are already here, such as my own parents. I know they are of the nature to to pass away one day, get old. But now that they are still alive, am I doing everything in my capacity as their son to offer joy to them one time a day or one time a week or one time a month? <laughs> or, and am I able to ask them, how is your heart? How are you dad? How are you mom? Can I support you? How can I support you? What is your biggest dream that you haven't been able to do that I can do for you. And so a place like Plum Village, a practice center, and to have a teacher is to help us remember what we have in the present moment. And so what Sister Denim shared, I think a lot of us, we will, we will face is like a kind of grief and we may try it, we may practice it at the beginning and then we may not see the fruit of it yet, but because insight or the practice, it takes time to mature. You have to sow that insight into your consciousness, which I believe Tai sowed that insight into Sister Dittany when she was young. And I do believe that as she practiced, you know, she started to see herself as her father. So you know, a practice center or a space of spirituality is not just a form, but it's also something to continuing, you have to continually develop through the day-to-day -day practices. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And sister, just when now you think about your father, I saw you as soon as you spoke to him, you felt the emotion. But what have you, what's the difference between 
how you felt at that time when you were first felt that deep pain and how you're able to see your father now. What, what's changed over this time? Yes, um, I now I see that whatever I do, my father does it. And um, I was very moved when I talk about that moment of pain. When I think back uh, 30 years ago, exactly 30 years ago, it was in 1992. And I remember that moment of pain for my mom, for my older sisters and brother, and myself, I was very moved. But talking about my father, now I'm very happy that whatever I do, I do it for my father. My father does it. My father in me does it. And I have, um, I have been uh, training in meditation, contemplation in my daily life to see my father in me. And at the same time, Thay has prepared for us all to do the same thing for Thay. And I remember before when we talk about no birth and no death, I was shy and I didn't dare to say anything about my practice um, con with Thay, concerning Thay, how we see that we are Thay's continuation. And I often thought that, okay, let's wait until that moment when Thay will pass away and then we will see how I'll practice it. Because it's easy to say, but only when it happens and then we'll see. And I was so happy during Thay's funerals because we all worry for Sister Tinkong. All, the, all our friends, many, many people know how Sister Tinkong is close to Thay. She has spent six or more than 60 years being um, working with Thay, helping Thay in everything. And my brother and sisters in Vietnam or also in other practice centers, they also worry for me because the last few years I was always next to Thay. Everyone worry for, for Sister Jinkong, uh, for me, for each other. And I was so happy to see that we were so solid. Uh, we cried, yes, but after crying, we were firm, solid, holding hands, each other's hands, and we continue to take care of the funerals, we, to organize everything. We continue with lots of inner strength. And at that time, I was so grateful that Thay prepared everything for us, especially in terms of the practice of no birth and no death. And we were so surprised to see Sister Chinkong that strong, that solid, that fresh, and we all flowed as a river, as continuations of Thay. And now I, I don't worry, I'm not shy anymore, but I can say that I'm proud of my brothers and sisters, especially of Sister Tinkong. And I'm proud at the same time. I'm so grateful because I know that Thay, Thay went through 
the the grief of loss so many times in his life. Many of his students and disciples passed away before him. And they were very close, not only as teachers and students, but as uh, co-workers. Together, they were trying to realize their dream, their aspiration. They relied on them, they count on them, especially when they was in exile. And when they learned that they, they passed away. And some in a um, terrible way, like they were kidnapped, they were murdered. So I could, I can imagine how they suffered and they went through all these pains, those pains, those griefs. And that's why they prepared for us. They knew that we will have to go through all this, this kind of grief. They prepared for us many years. And the moment came, we went through beautifully, thanks to Thay. It's a wonderful example of him as a great teacher because he, what, you're, what I hear you saying is he recognized the pain of loss and by doing these deep teachings about no birth, no death, the fact that we continue that as you described with your father, that is not just he's in your hand but actually your actions and what you do in the world is representing your father. And now as a community, the way you represent yourself now is ties in you. I just want to talk really about the time for both of you about when Tai became ill and had his stroke. Because for many people in the world, they were used to seeing Tai and hearing his teachings. And then when Tai fell ill, had the stroke... In a sense, he retired from, obviously, his active teaching life. But actually, there are many people who say that his teachings actually deepened when he was no longer able to talk and, um, and to represent his work through his words. And it'd be lovely to ask you both about that. And maybe to start with you, Fapu, because you cared for Thai during his illness when he was in France and also at a time where it was, there was a real concern that he was going to pass at that time because at one point he was just given a few hours to live and you had to prepare yourself. And then Sister Nyum, you've been looking after him and working with him for the five and a half years in, um, since he left and went back to Thailand and Vietnam. So Brother Fapu, maybe to come to you first about what, did you learn about Thai and about the ability to still be a great teacher, even when you can no longer speak in and act in a normal, independent way? Mm. I think the whole journey um, of Thai getting sick is uh, 
it's difficult to share about it in a way, but at the same time, um, it's good to speak about it, to process everything. Actually, Sister Dingim and a whole team of us, I think about nine of us, we're all in Bordeaux, Bordeaux airport. And uh, the night, the night that Tai had the stroke, I remember calling the whole team and we all arrived and we were all embracing um, Tai and I was holding Tai uh, after Brother Pap Ao, one of our other attendant. And at that moment, I think on the level of students, we were just trying to remain as calm as possible. The teaching of Tai that says like when there is chaos, we have to be centered so that we we all have clarity. And in that particular moment, I think because most of us, we were quite seasoned practitioners, I would say. We're all like 16 years of monastichood and above. So all of our practices was in automatic, like I was just following my breathing as I was embracing Tai and sending him my attention. You know, we can say sending him my energy, sending him my compassion, sending him whatever vitality from me that I can give him. I was offering just my full attention and just to also recognize what is happening. And I think like Sister Dinim shared, like you can't really prepare yourself for it because everything is just intellectually, uh, like like you know even the notion of impermanence. But when it comes, thank you to the practice for being present, and thank you for having a team. Like we were a body together, and then um, Sister Dinim was talking to the doctors. Um, I was still embracing Thai. Others were managing other elements of the situation. And then there was a moment the doctors came in and they said, everybody get out. And I was like, what? We have to leave our teacher? Because they needed to do uh, um, an MRI scan of to see what is going on. And this was really early in the morning. I still remember everything very vividly. It was 6 a.m. I just remember how early, because we were the only ones in the hospital. It was also a holiday. It was a holiday. And when the doctors took Tai, um, Sister Dinim remained with Sister Taungim. And a group of us, the brothers, we went for a walking meditation outside because we just needed to refresh ourselves and like take refuge in Mother Earth. So we found the park nearest the, um, the hospital and just to walk. And, you know, when we came back, when we came back to the hospital, the first image I saw was Sister Dinim and Sister Taungim hugging and crying. And the only perception I had was Tai has passed. And this is in 2014. I remember sprinting as fast as I can from the end of the hallway all the way to where Tai's room was. And um, we, we arrived and I asked, I asked him what just happened, explained to us. And she shared that uh, the doctor said Tai just had a stroke, uh, a very big hemorrhage. 
And according to them, they calculate Thai only has 46 hours left. So it was important for us to prepare ourselves as well as inform our community. And I went into community gear, so just informing everyone. And I think at that moment, you know, what was really interesting is that we just became so human. We were all the attendants, we were around Thai, because at this moment, Thai entered into a coma. And Thai was breathing, because you can hear his breathing as he was in a coma. And we just put our trust in Thai as a teacher. And that's what I was doing because it's almost like it's out of my control in a way. And what 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 I was doing for myself is number one, taking care of myself because taking care of myself is also taking care of Thai and taking care of the community. Um, I couldn't cry at that time. I couldn't cry specifically because I felt I was one of the head attendants with many others, but I just didn't feel like I could cry for the team. And I, I had to keep my head on my shoulders and in a way just to be that that mountain for myself and then for the community. But what I know how to do is I know how to tap into others' energies, That meaning I know how to flow with the feelings of my brothers and sisters. So I did embrace brothers that were crying, putting my hand on the shoulders of my sisters that were very emotional. And just to know that we are here for each other in this moment. And so for me, like at that moment, I was taking care of myself so that I can take care of others. And then by doing that, I could channel my energy to have clarity or else I think I would have been quite lost. And then I would have maybe drowned in sorrow or drowned in confusion or drowned in events. Like I was a little bit angry, not, not at Thai, of course, but like, why, why does this have to happen to my teacher? And I even, I remember walking in the air, uh, in the hospital. I remember walking in the hospital and saying, why, out of all the people to have a stroke, why my teacher? Why someone as valuable to the world as Thai, as Zen Master Tikkhan, who still had so much to offer, so much to give, such a source of inspiration, such a source of compassion, and as such a refuge for humanity, and I, I, I did go down that rabbit hole of like criticizing. I don't know. I was asking God. I was asking the trees. I was asking the Buddha. I was asking everything. And of course, no answers came. The only answer is this is life. Life is, is, uh, is the five remembrance, right? We are of the nature to get sick. We are of the nature to die. We are of the nature to let go of those who are so dear to us. The only thing that remains is our true belonging. And that stayed with me because I started to, to just change my, my mind from blaming to honoring to gratitude. I said, wow, how lucky I was to be with someone 
so beautiful, so precious as Thai. How lucky I am to know how to walk mindfully in this very moment as I am upset and angry. How wonderful I am to have a community to grieve together, to embrace the situation together. And then so I, I started to change, like Thai, his Thai's language is you change the city, you change the peg. So in my mind, I knew I was becoming toxic, like my energy was becoming toxic. So that kicked in the whole gratitude and started to become one of my compasses at the early stage of, um, of um, Thai's um, illness. And every minute that I had with Thai, I was like, Thai is still here. I'm just going to offer my presence. I'm just going to offer my presence. And we were so um, lucky to have the support of the doctors and the nurses. They, they, they gave us 24 access to Thai. And Thai survived the, the, first, um, the first scare, right? Like, which he was supposed to um, pass away. And I do believe in collective energy. I do believe as the whole world channeled all of our attention and admiration, gratitude, love, care, light towards Thai, that must have been such a source of energy because we know that mind consciousness also has store consciousness which can receive. So I do believe that when the community collectively we're chanting for Thai. Uh, we would every every day of mindfulness. I believe this um, the sangha would um, chant after a formal meal to send our love and energy to our teacher. Many people around the world were dedicating their walks, their sit, their meal, um, a moment of peace towards Thai. And even just as an attendant, I felt like so much love and support. So as someone who all of this energy is directing towards, I do believe that Thai received it. And I also do know that Thai has so much more to offer because in, in like 2014, like in the retreats, like, cause I'm, me and Sister Dignim are quite close to Thai. So I knew Thai was um, gearing up for Thai's uh, 2015 U.S. tour, which he was going to be a keynote speaker at a very big conference. He was going to talk about um, mindful leadership because mindfulness at that stage um, was definitely entering into the mainstream of companies. And so it was a big company that invited Thai as a keynote speaker at one of their very big conferences. And Thai has accepted that request. And so Thai... And the community from, we did programs of um, mindfulness into education, mindfulness into healthcare. And so I think the next was mindfulness, um, right mindfulness into, into team building, uh, compassionate leaders, um, collective awakening of, of, of companies, et cetera, et cetera. So I know that Thai still has so much to give and my own interpretation, and this is my own selfish uh, interpretation, which is like, I think Thai 
it's very compassionate. Meaning, I feel Thai thinks the sangha wasn't ready for Thai's uh, for Thai's passing in 2014. If conditions were were to be like that, and Thai wanted to give us more time to stand on our two feet. That's my own interpretation. We don't want to be a burden to his freedom. Also, we didn't want that. So all of us. As attendant, because we would every night we would come together and we would have dharma sharing, we would have grief session together on how we are processing this moment, and all of us were saying like, if we have the chance, we will share with Tai that Tai, you are our teacher. You have loved us so dearly. You have given us one hundred twenty percent of of your life. To your student, because you really see us as your continuation. So the best we can do for you is to give you freedom. Thai, if you want to become a cloud, we will embrace that transition. I remember saying this to Thai because I felt that was also my own responsibility. But if Thai, if you want to be here, we shall also do everything in our in our capacity to support you to make sure that. You are comfortable to make sure that you can regain as much as you can, and what was important is to have clarity as students and teacher. And I think we were very lucky to have sessions that we can talk about it, and not to be selfish. Also, we we understood our own grief, our own loss, but then we would ask, how can we support our teacher? And that was really important. What, what I hear you say, brother, which I completely recognize myself, is that because Ty said he didn't want there to be one person taking over from him, and he had created the sense of how a community can live together, make decisions together, that actually giving the community the time to recognize the truth that. Tai would one day pass, and that actually there was no one person would take over, and so it needed time for the community to recognize they needed to step up and and to recognize how that could happen in a in a way that would support everyone, as opposed to it becoming a competition. Or so so actually that I think there's there's a deeply held sense that by Tai staying for these years, he did give the community the chance. Tai was still there, still a teacher, but everyone had to step up. But, and brother, just one other thing. I I know that, um, you know, at one point you asked Tai about death, mm. and it might be nice to share that with our mm. listeners. Yes. Um, before I get to that, there was a story. We were in the ICU intensive care unit in the hospital of Bordeaux, and um, the next morning. Our main doctor came and said, "Brothers and sisters, last night, did you um, see one of the doctors come and stay in your room?" And we said, "Yes, yes. Well, many. Uh, we, we saw many doctors, but we noticed one doctor that was was present. And for us, as an attendant, whenever we see doctors and nurses come, we were very happy because we knew they were taking care of our teacher. But he said, "Yes, yes, yes. But there was a particular doctor." That stayed in your room, and do you know why? And we said no. And he said, 
you know, she came into the room to take refuge in Thai's presence. Because one of her patients in the ICU just passed. And we have to remember that doctors have such intimate relationship with their patients as they care for them. And the moment when one of their patients cannot make it is also their loss. And that doctor needed a place of refuge. And she came and she stayed in the room where Tai was in a coma. And I remember him saying, see, even in this state, Tai is still a teacher. And I think that was, for me, that was a reminder. Yes, Tai is present and he is still teaching us. And what we did recognize was his breathing was incredible. It's like store consciousness of 80 something years of practicing just went into autopilot and Tai's mindfulness was just a continuing, a continuing stream of practice. And I even felt sometimes I was emotional when, when the situation was becoming unclear if, um, if Tai will make it or not. Um, I relied on his breathing. So I still, I still, I still was taking refuge in him. And that gave me a lot of faith in the practice. And I said to myself, I need to continuing, I need to continue to invest in this Dharma because in the most critical moment, what is your best friend is your breathing. And I know, brother, that um, I was told that um, one of the doctors or nurses came to see about Ty's oxygen level in his blood and was looking at the machine and kept on tapping it. And, um, and eventually one of, the, one of the monastics said, um, you know, what's the problem? They said, well, this must be wrong because it's showing 95% or whatever oxygen level and someone in this condition, it normally goes down to 70 or 75 and and you all just look, oh, well, that's obvious because <laughs> Tai is one of the best breathers in the world. Exactly. That became our slogan. Tai is the best breather in the world. So we, I, I did write this calligraphy, say best breather in the world. And I said, Bop, that's my guy. That's my teacher. Um, but fast forward a little bit because it's, it's, a, it's a long story. But Tai did overcome um, the coma and Tai cut back, opened his eyes. And what was very interesting though, even though Tai was in a coma, and I think Sajid, you felt it too, Tai was very present. He was very present even though Tai was in a coma. And there were days and nights that he would still open his eyes to look at us. And I remember the first evening when in the ICU, um, after coming to the ICU, so this is like by day, day four, or day three after the stroke. And because we saw so much movement in Tai's eyes and we had a, 
we had a perception like Ty's gonna open his eyes, like Ty's gonna, and that evening it was my shift. Um, Ty opened his eyes and he looked at us with such tender, such tender, and he put his hand on my head and was just feeling my head gently, and then to my face. And as he acknowledged, his students are here for him. And then Tai just closed his eyes and went back into a rest. And wow, I, I just remember the teacher and student relationship, it's so powerful. So he knew that we were there and, and we know that he is there. So that is like the first condition is like where communication is possible when two sides are fully present. And much later on, after Tai um, came out of the coma and Tai regained um, capacity to sit, capacity to drink tea, um, capacity to eat, um, and even some capacity of movement. So we were able to walk with Tai, but we had this brace. But there was one day, I was just, I was young and I was just a curious student. And because we're always in pairs, in shifts. So there was one day I was alone with Tai just for a few minutes. And I've been having a burning question. And I, I think I know the answer, but I just wanted to ask my teacher. And I was too ashamed and too shy to ask it with another attendant beside me. And that day we were in San Francisco and I knelt down and I said, Tai, please allow me to ask a question. And Tai nodded. I said, yes. And I just said, Tai, are you afraid of dying? And he gave me this smirk and he put his hand on my face and patting my face like, and his facial expression was like, me? Afraid of dying? Are you kidding? And it was just an, like a confirmation f- that I wanted for myself that Tai is free already. And so in a way, Tai was free. So I feel free. And I'm just going to be there and support. So I'm not going to strive in order to to try to keep him alive longer than is necessary in a way, because then that that's my own attachment to him. But when I got that confirmation from Tai, for some reason, I just felt so free and I knew Tai was already free. But I guess this is my processing of like, how do I embrace this situation? Thank you, brother. Thank you for that deep sharing. Sister Danyim, um, you looked after Tai for five and a half years uh, once he moved to Thailand as well and then Vietnam. And I think one of the things that Brother Fep, who is sharing, is, is about how you can be a teacher without words and about presence. Most people think the teaching is the words, but it's what's behind the words. And it would be lovely to share what you experienced when Tai was in 
his root temple in Hue in Vietnam. How did you experience Thai and his teaching? I would like to tell you the story. Um, when I tried to dissuade Thai to go back to Vietnam, we, we went to Thailand, we settled down, everything was okay, everything was perfect in terms of um, the doctor team, uh, Thai's hut in Thai Plum Village is beautiful with a nice view. Thai could see the mountain Khao Yai right in front of uh, Thai. Everything was perfect. We were in a community, in a big community. The attendants could attend the activities. We were very nourished by um, the energy of a big Sangha, the weather was nice, lots of, with lots of sunshine, everything was comfortable. The Thai doctors were also Thai students. They received the, they were OI members. So they took care of Thai like they took care of their fathers. Everything was going very well, and then when Thai decided to go back to Vietnam, we all panicked because it was not easy at all to move to another place where you didn't know anything. You didn't know any doctor, any nurse, any hospital. And and then, like Brother Pháp Hu, I waited when there was no one around. So <laughs> <laughs> coming out today. Yes, very, very <laughs> intimate questions. And I wanted to, just between Thai and I, I wanted to dissuade Thai. And I told Thai, Thai, do you remember your hermitage? You remember Plum Village in France, the upper hamlet? I showed Thai the pictures. Wow, it's so beautiful. This is a place where Thai feel most comfortable. Thai spent most of his life in France. Most of Thai's fruits in the practice happened here, Thai. Why don't we go back there? <laughs> and Thai stopped for a few seconds and thought. And then very firmly Thai pointed up to the sky. Let's go back to Vietnam. But Thai spent a few seconds to think. Before that, before those questions, before I talked to Thai, Continuously, they made us understand that let's go to Vietnam, no second thought. But they thought of the hermitage of the upper hamlet, of Thay's happy time in France. But still, they decided to go. And I still hope that Thay would change his mind. So when we got to Hue, I didn't unpack everything, hoping Thay, that Thay would change his mind. And sorry, before that, it was during the rainy season. It rained and rained, never stopped. People say that in Hue, it rains only twice during the season. 
because it stopped only after a month and a half or two months. And I remember during the night, I slept and I heard the rain, early in the morning rain, and things around my head got moldy, green moldy, you know, a piece of good to uh, do washa, to massage. I was so shocked. It's green with mold. And uh, so on the third day, I told Thay Pháp An, Thay Pháp An, should I talk to Thay so that we go back to Thailand? And Thay Pháp An looked at me, Shri Em, don't do that. Poor Thay. Whatever Thay wants, we need, we are here to support Thay. He just said one sentence and suddenly I dropped. I dropped everything. He's right, we are here to support Thay, whatever Thay wants. And then I unpacked everything. And I was surprised on the fourth day, I was very happy in my raincoat, walking from the nunnery to Thay's hut. Wow, everything is from the mind. When you accept it, you can adapt very quickly. But if there's some resistance, I I would have continued to resist and resist and would never be happy in Hue. And just one sentence in Thay Pháp Ân, that sentence went th- straight to my heart and I dropped, I felt so light. I dropped everything. And Thay's presence in Hue brought so much happiness to many people in Vietnam. People came and stood during the day. They just stood around Thay's hut behind the fence, just waited, waited to see Thay when Thay went out of his hut so they could just see Thay. And then the monastics, the young monastics, the venerable monks and nuns, his old friends, his old students. And um, the young novices in Hue, they had the chance to take turn to come and spend the day at Thay's hut to help us taking care of Thay's place, neat and um, clean. And every day they could have meals with Thay. And um, Thay didn't say a word. And the novices who every day they spend the day with Thay, and because Thay didn't say a word, they were very attentive, fully present, being around Thay and observe Thay's face, Thay's smile, each of Thay's gesture. And every time they went back to the nun- nunnery, they had many stories to tell the other sisters. Oh, today, during meal, Thay talked a lot to me with his eyes, his smiles. And they share his food with the novices. And they, and when they didn't have appetite, how they share the food with them and watch them and, lo- and enjoy looking at them, eating, and every single details, 
the the sisters saw and share with the other sisters in the nunnery. I felt that they made them practice mindfulness and concentration, being present a hundred percent. They didn't need to say anything. It was transmission from heart to heart, not through words. And they, the novices and Thay were like that, without words, and they had so much to receive, to feel, to share with the other novices. Day after day, they, the novices, they, they built their love, a relationship between teacher and disciples, and love between teachers and disciples, and they feel so connected with Thay. It was amazing how they feel deeply connected with Thay. And before Thay came back to Vietnam, they knew Thay through books, through, through Dharma talks, in CDs, in DVDs, in, on YouTube. Thay was someone very far away from Thay. They followed Thay teachings, but they had no idea about a real relationship between teacher and disciple. And during the COVID time, they couldn't come in Thai's room, so they still stay at the window enjoying meals with Thai. And they sang at the window, and they were so happy. They were so happy, and Thay was also happy. Happiness without words. Mm. So, um, three years and a half spent in Hue, I saw a, a generation of young novices in Hue. They got transmission, direct transmission and deep transmission from Thay. They will be Thay, Thay's continuation. Um, of course, others who didn't have this direct transmission, they are, they are also continuation of Thay. But I could feel that those, this generation, it's, uh, the connection is so deep that they could be like Thay Pháp Hữu, or me, or Sister Thao Nghiêm, who were who had the chance to be Thai's attendant, who were close to Thai. I see their connection is as deep as ours. And Thai always wanted to invest in the young generation. They will be our future, the world's future, Thai's future. And those years... Thay did it. And all Thay's doctors were very surprised to see how Thay could handle his illness. Um, like Dr. Quick from San Francisco, he, uh, he loved Thay. He flew all the way to Hue and he told, he told us he could never do like Thay. 
that Thai's endurance is limitless, and the team of Thai doctors, Thai, they only follow Thai to support Thai. They kept saying, Thai is the one who decides. Thai decides everything, and they just follow Thai, follow Thai's decision, offer their support. If Thai wanted to stop, he could stop any time. There were moments we saw that Thai was very near, close to to passing. Uh, in Hue, we Thai. Uh, when we arrived to Hue, we had a meeting. We saw that Thai won't go to the hospital. The team of doctors in Thailand will continue to take care of Thai by distance. It was not COVID time yet, and we already <laughs> start to um, to to receive treatment and consultation through a conference call through internet. And there were moments when Thai was very near to passing. And the doctors and we are just waited. Now it's up to Thai to decide. And a few times, Thai went through, got better. And we know that when Thai was still in good shape, Thai was very independent in terms of um, Thai did everything by himself: washing clothes, uh, cooking. Uh, we wanted to help a lot, to do a lot, but we knew that Thai could do everything by himself in his hermitage. Thai didn't like to rely on the attendance force, you know, for daily tasks. So being dependent on his attendance is not something easy for Thai. We understood it, and still Thai continue. For seven years and a half, being dependent on others, we we understood that it was very difficult, and out of compassion, they continue until the end. And sister, a couple of things. Um, you talk about this deep connection between Thai and the students, this heart-to-heart connection. No words, but deep recognition. Having gone through that and been a witness and 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 to be present to that, what has it taught you about life and about how you want to practice into the future? Now, what I want to do is to continue continue to practice for myself and also to take care of my younger sisters because I want to continue what I did and I also see that it's so important to to share with them to transmit with them what I have directly received from Thai because they, they will continue I'm already 53 years old and they will continue. Plum Village's future, Thai's future, they will continue it.
I would like to share with you um, another kind of relationship that deeply touched me. When I, during the funerals, I was in Thai's room, and next to Thai's room, uh, we put an altar with Thai's picture, and many people came to look at Thai's bed and touch the earth before Thai's picture, and many people talked to Thai. And one monk, I see this monk everywhere on YouTube. Now he's quite well-known, a Vietnamese monk. He gives lots of teachings, lots of Dharma talks. And he didn't see me. I was in Thay's bedroom. And then I heard his gentle voice, like he talked to Thay in person. He said something like, I, I never saw Thay in person, but since I was a novice, I've been reading Thay's books. I listened to Thay's Dhamma talk, and Thay, you don't know how much you have given me, how much impact you are on my life, in my life. I've never seen you, but I'm your, I'm your disciple. What I'm saying, the teachings I'm giving, is your teachings, is your words. You have changed my life, and everything I have now is from you. I'm your disciple. And after a few sentences, I step out to look at that monk. Who is he? And then I found out that, oh, I saw him on YouTube everywhere. And listening to him, I cried. And it touched me so deep that just through the teachings, many people can also build a relationship, a deep relationship like that. The young novices, maybe um, the young novices in Hue who were lucky to, who, who, who saw Thai every day, they were lucky. And I think that Thai's presence, um, Thai helped those who don't have strong practice, and thanks to the presence, uh, direct contact, concrete contacts, it helped them to build that relationship. But there are those who don't need the direct contact, and they still can build such a deep relationship if they can make good use of Thay's teachings and practice and they they can feel the practice and Thay's presence in their bones, in their body and they still can feel that deep relationship and that monk I stood behind him, he didn't know that I was listening to him he gave me a very deep teaching very moving teaching Sister and, and Brother Fapir, I just I wanted to stay with this for one moment, because um, in the West, there, there's so much emphasis on words. 
and you're talking about presence. And it's it'd be really lovely for our listeners just to what is presence? How would you describe Thai's presence? And then maybe Fapu you because it's such a critical difference because it's it's about the embodiment, isn't it? It's it's not about the words, it's not about um the image. There's something that's so deep in what it is to unify oneself. But I'd love to hear from you, sister, and then brother Pepper, you too. What, what, when you say Thai's presence and about, what do you, what do you mean? When you are full in your mind with worries, with plans, with projects, you cannot be f- totally present. The sisters, uh, when they came to Thai's hut, right away, for, uh, right away, they they felt an energy, an energy of calmness, of peace. They drop everything behind. Sometimes they they had some conflict with other sisters in the in the nunnery. They drop everything behind. They knew that today is their day to spend with Thay. It's a special day. So they drop everything behind. And when they went to Thay's hut, they are empty. Their minds were empty. They drop everything be- behind. Their mind, minds were empty and they just focus on Thay, on themselves. And because their minds were empty, they could receive a lot. They were in the present moment. They didn't think of what happened in the nunnery, the conflict that just happened. And they were aware that this is a spacious moment. And when the minds were empty, they just relaxed. They were just relaxed and observed Thai with mindfulness. They are present for Thai. And because they are present for Thai, they saw what's going on on Thai's face, whether Thai, when Thai changes a little bit of expression right away, they were aware of, of it, did a gesture. They were aware of it. They were aware of everything what was what was going on in Thai and at Thai's attendance around, and that's why they could receive the energy, the transmission. So it's like a almost a perfect communication because there's no barrier to the exchange. The energy is very important. I remember, like Thai Pak said. Um, I always um, look back at myself and check my energy. Like Thay Pahu said, what we wanted to offer to Thay was our energy, our energy of peace, of freshness. When we don't use words, we use energy, and we are more sensitive with energy, the other person's energy as well as our energy. Brother Fapu, is there anything you want to add to that? Because, and, and again, in, in the Plum Village tradition, the word often uses Thai's transmission. 
it's not just Thai speaks or Thai tells, but there's a there's a transmission which is happening at a deep level. So is there anything you want to add to what Sister was just saying? You know, just listening to Sister Dengim um, retell all the stories, like a lot of images and experiences with Thai also came up in my consciousness. And uh, yeah, I just want to emphasize a little bit on on Thai's presence because I I helped train a lot of attendants to to become Thai's attendant. And one of the things I always tell all of my young brothers and sisters who is up to their turn to be his attendant is like I tell them that Thai is going to be very present. What you have to do is be present. That's the first and the most important step in order to be Thai's attendant. To be his attendant, you have to be attentive because his energy is is just presence and you got to match that. And if you don't, you don't have to like fully match it, but you have to have some certain level of mindfulness or else like the two waves don't don't match in harmony and or and then and then the experience will become very different because i've had brothers who who are an attendant for the day and they can't wait to until the day ends because they can't match tai's tai's wavelength or tai's energy and and they're in their mind so much they're just so tense they're so tight they're so afraid of doing things wrong they're so in their mind, like I need to be perfect. I need to da 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 da, and you you're creating all of this story. But if you let go, and you just practice the dharma that Thai gives that he has offered us, which is the first dharma seal of Plum Village, I have arrived. I'm at home. Just be in the present moment, and things will unfold. And that is one of the most important ingredient to to receive anything from Thai. Like, of course, like, let's say we're listening to a Dhamma talk, we're listening to a YouTube video, we're listening to a recording. It's going to be very different if we're all very present rather than we're just jogging. I know a lot of us are listening to to this as we're jogging, but it's, <laughs> it's not a criticism, but it's just, it's just saying that when you listen to a teaching, specifically from someone such as Tai, and you sit upright, you are present, the transmission and your understanding becomes much deeper because you're so there, you're so present. So that's that's one of the things that Tai is always offering to us when we are around him, especially when Tai is not speaking. For us, when we were with him, like I, Every, every time before coming into the room uh, wherever Tai was staying, whether it was in the Hermitage in France or it was at the hospital or it was in Thailand or it was in Vietnam, before seeing Tai, I always take a few moments to arrive. Because if I don't, I feel like it's almost like I'm rude. It's like a little bit like it's disrespectful in a way. It's kind of like when... You, you encounter somebody so, so peaceful and present and gentle and loving. 
and you see them on your path, you just want to slow down in order to to take that essence in you. And you would lose so much if you are unmindful and you see that and you just pass them. Or I I would feel like, well, it's such a dishonor to <laughs> to the conditions that I have right in front of me. And one of the one of the things that that I recognize in Tai is he is limitless in offering. So like whenever he would see his students, like what Sister Dingim share, he's so attentive that he has students. Even though he doesn't have an appetite, he's gonna still sit there. Because he knows that moment that he is with them, he is transmitting his energy of mindfulness, his energy of peace, his energy of compassion, everything that he has cultivated is there. The only question is, on the other end, if we are present in receiving that. And when I was um, taking care of Tai, um, especially after we came back from the hospital, when Tai was regaining all his movement, his right side, though, was paralyzed. And one of the, the most tender moment and the most beautiful moments that I witnessed was Tai taking care of his right hand because his right hand was now paralyzed, which he didn't have control of. And everything Tai had to shift to his left side, eating, um, drinking a cup of tea, pointing, directing. And there was one day. Because we, we did have a hope that Tai would regain um, capacity in his right side because we believe that Tai's mind consciousness is so strong and Tai's will is so powerful. And Tai was putting a lot of energy in regaining his, his right side. And of course, we try, we push, we strive, but there is always going to be a moment when we have to be tender to ourselves. And there was one day with his left hand, he took his right hand and he put his right hand on his cheek. So his left cheek can feel his right hand. And with his left hand, he was patting his right hand down with such tender, with such love and with such care. And then he took his right hand down, he put it on his lap and just gently like like a scan, a mindful scan and a transmission of tender and love. And he was just feeling from his shoulders to his bicep, to his arm, his wrist, his hands, his fingers. And it was such a tender moment of loving oneself and accepting the situation. And I was standing from behind Tai, just witnessing this moment. Because aside of a part of me, there's a part of me that was really pushing and striving so that Tai can regain and thinking that happiness is when Tai gets back his right hand. But in that moment, when Tai was so tender and so loving to his hand, I felt. This is awareness of body, accepting body, and embracing it with the present moment.
And there was, I felt like this gentleness in Thai and like this freedom in Thai, as well as freedom that he was transmitting to us, which were his support. Because if we're going to keep striving for it, then we're also pushing this energy towards Thai. But like Sister Nim shared, like Thai is also very mindful of his capacity. And he was always reflecting on his body every day. What, what more can I do in order to care and to regain? And then there were such tender moments when we were like, Thai, let's do some exercise. And then Thai would say, Thai would point at the teapot, like, let's drink some tea. <laughs> such a Zen master still is our teacher. And, and for me, it was so important because as his attendant, our, our idea was like, Thai just needs to regain everything. And that is quote unquote happiness. And I started to change my own role of being his assistant, do the best I can to support him, but also understanding the beauty of the present moment. And, and that gives Thai freedom and that gives myself freedom because the more we have expectation, the more we have desire and it's all in our minds that we are creating what is happiness. But when we let go, and like I said, let's just drink a cup of tea. This is still a beautiful moment. I am with you. And I will never, I will never forget, even after Tai was um, um, paralyzed on his right side, knowing that now um, we were at the hermitage and normally Tai likes to be the host. So he would like to make the tea, invite us, even though we've been his student for 16, 17 years, Tai will still treat us as a very um, treasured guest. And that morning we came to Tai's um, living room at the Hermitage and Tai pointed to the tea, so instructed me to make the tea. But Tai with his left hand invited me as the host and put um, the cup of tea in front of me and, uh, and pointed to the tea like, enjoy it. And it was such a beautiful moment where I felt like Tai is always free because his, his capacity of dwelling happily in the present moment, this simple teaching of the Buddha, this teaching that Tai has offered thousands of times to us in any moment, if you have that key, that present moment, is the most beautiful and wondrous moment you can enjoy. And that presence was ingrained in every moment with Tai, even after the stroke. And even though Tai couldn't speak, Tai was still in control of his happiness. And what I was very attentive to is also Tai's awareness of his own energy. Especially when he was sick, he would know when to rest know when to, to, to practice and then when to go for walks. Because he would point to us, Tai wants to go on a walk, meaning we put Tai on Tai's wheelchair and we would go for a walking meditation in the upper hamlet, lower hamlet, new hamlet, Thailand, um, of the root temple to heal pagoda, etc. So this, this um, energy of practice 
I kept alive. And what I will never forget, um, when we were in San Francisco, we were um, uh, we had a, a routine to take care of Thai. And we were in in SF, San Francisco, USA, because Thai was getting a lot of medical support there, and the team was very generous in offering Thai. Um, um, the support he needs in order to regain speech, regain movement. So this is 2015, so right after um, the stroke. And as the body of attendants, we were probably like almost 15 of us. So we were a sangha. We were like a little sangha in in San Francisco, and we needed to maintain our practice also. So we established sitting meditation in. Every morning, and Thai would join us every morning. But there was one morning that Thai missed the meditation because Thai um, he didn't miss it. But because we wanted Thai to sleep a little a little longer, because um, during that time, like Thai sleep was very inconsistent, and we know sleep is is an element of healing. So. We all told each other when Thai can sleep, let's let Thai sleep. But we're in this really um, 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 community kind of house that we that 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 was offered to us for the conditions for caring for Thai. So you can hear the bells, you can hear the morning chant of the monks and nuns, which we all rotated in doing. And that morning, Thai um, Thai woke up, and Thai saw the clock, and Thai knew he was late. And he pointed to his robe, telling like, "Put on my robe." And Thai was very proper. So it's our tradition as monastics that whenever we go to formal practice, we have to wear our long robe because that's the energy we want to enter into. That we're very present from our form and inside our mind. But then, when we were almost arriving into the meditation hall, the bell was invited, and the chant begins. Fapma, right? And then the rule in the monastery is once the bell starts, you can't enter. You're late because you don't want to disturb the others that have already entered in meditation. So Tai, with his left hand, he made a, a stopping signal, and he pointed back to his room. And so then he just sat um, on his wheelchair in the window of his room. But after that. Every morning, Thai would make sure he is never late for sitting meditation. And there was one day, um, he kept waking up, and um, and but it was like only 3 a.m. and then 4 a.m. And I was like, Thai, I promise you, when it's five o'clock, I'll wake you up, and we're all gonna go to meditation. And Thai looked at me with like eyes like, remember, <laughs> like remember to wake me up, and. I will never forget that moment because something as valuable and simple as just sitting with the community was so important to Tai. Like we're sitting in Tai's hut, and there's a phrase in his room. It says, "The joy of meditation is daily food," and I really felt that every minute that Tai had with the community was his daily food. So he was still able. To deeply connect to the practice um, body and the sangha body and the spiritual um, stream of practice, he never ever let it stop. And this was a transition of 
of like from sickness, stroke, coming out, not in one moment did he stop practicing. And for me, it's like, I want to invest. I'm, I'm, I have so much faith in the practice and I, I see so much beauty in the simple practice that we sometimes take for granted. That we think, okay, this is too basic or this is just fundamental. But what I realize in the most dire situation, what you can always come back to is the fundamental, which is recognizing the present moment. How do I take care of the present moment? How do I change my view of the situation? I can't use my right hand, which I've written so many poems, so many calligraphies, all of the books. But this is a moment not to hate my right hand, but to love it. Mm. So it's it's as as I'm listening to you both, what what I what I'm feeling is that, you know, Thai is not superhuman, but Thai has finessed and deepened and focused and taken the time and energy to show what's possible for us. So, so what I'm hearing, it's an invitation to us all, not to be like Thai, but to show that if we are able to be attentive, to be mindful, to be ourselves, to come back to ourselves in the present moment, then we can taste that aspect of Thai. And so in a sense, Thai is that sense of the true bodhisattva. He's holding the door open for us all, should we choose to step through. Sister Daniam, I'm just wondering if you could share a little about Thai's last days, because what, what you've spoken of is, you know, that there are many times where Thai could have passed and in a sense then came back. And uh, there were times where he didn't eat for a long time or drink, but then he would come back and his energy would return. And then, of course, one day it didn't. And, I, and I'm just wondering what your sense of Thai was in those last days about what you either sensed in him about the letting go and, and what your experience was of him passing and of the energy of that moment. We noticed that the last few months, Thai's strength when slowly went down more and more. But the last week, Thay was very present. Sister Chen Kong was there and talking to Thay, telling Thay that, oh, we know that Thay wants to be with us to encourage us to practice brotherhood and sisterhood more and more. Maybe we didn't practice well enough. That's why Thay continue to be there and wait. But, you know, Thay, now it's much better. We can embrace, we can love everyone here in Hue. Now we, we accept uh, all the brothers and all the sisters in Hue. I can feel that there's really sisterhood and brotherhood and Sister Ching Hong continue to talk about the fruits of our practice, they listen very carefully. Sister Thao Nghiêm also told Thai stories and they listened. 
it was close to Lunar New Year and the weather suddenly turned beautiful with sunshine and we prepared for Lunar New Year. We we wanted to do deep cleaning in Thay's hut. We even, Thay allowed us to move his bed to the next room, to clean his room. Every corner, every corner is super clean and neat. And then Sister Thao Yi made a beautiful painting right on, um, at Thay's view. The picture a beautiful painting of uh, one of Thay's dreams. One night, Thay dreamed that Thay went up the Voto Peak with the Buddha, and in the dream, Thay was the Buddha's attendant, and they had walking meditation with a little boy who was here in Plum Village during the first years. It was a happy time in the mountain with the Buddha. The Buddha also wore a brown robe like Thay, not the traditional robe um, of the Buddha's time. So Sister Thao Nghi made this beautiful painting and Thay enjoyed the painting. Thay enjoyed the chrysanthemums, yellow, golden chrysanthemum outside the window. People knew that Thay loved those flowers, so they offered and Thay really in Joy Lunar New Year. It was not Lunar New Year, but we felt that Thay was cele- celebrating Lunar New Year. It was very peaceful and joyful atmosphere. It was one day before Thay mm, passed away. And then that day, that particular day, around 4 p.m., I was very surprised to see the vital sound, uh, vital signs. Thai's vital signs were were upside down. The level of oxygen went down, and then the heartbeat. Everything was upside down. Right away, I let Sister Lin Yim know to contact the doctors right away. And then we tried to massage Thai like usual, and then it was a little bit better. And then it continued until midnight, one o'clock. And we understood until um, 11, around 11 p.m. And then I understood that this time Thai won't go through. And how was Thai during his passing and after that in terms of your sensing of his energy and presence and... Thay was very peaceful and we we felt that Thay was very compassionate. Thay waited for everyone to be there. Sister Lin Yim, who is the contact person with the doctors, usually she she didn't come in the afternoon, late afternoon she didn't come, but that day because I reported to her that the vital signs were upside down. So she came. She came and she realized that it was serious. And she 
as soon as she was there with Thay, she was deeply moved. She, she felt that Thay could pass away before she came, but she could feel that Thay allowed, um, Thay waited for her, Thay made it happen that she was there to be with Thay. Those moments were very peaceful, was very peaceful moment. And Thay was with his attendants, with his sitting calm. The others, they, later on, other monks in the temple, they said, oh, you should right away invite the venerable monks and nuns who come and accompany Thay. But we know that as always, Thay has been very shy and Thay likes to be in a small circle with, uh, with his um, students and Thay never wanted to bother anyone. And later on, a few hours, um, a few, a few hours later, the venerable monks and nuns came, pay respect to Thay. But yes, yeah, some people said that we should have invited them, um, but we felt that that's what Thay wanted, just a small circle, like a simple person. Because Thay was, until the end, a simple monk. Yes. So sister, is there anything else you want to share about this Thay, about teaching without words? I already shared with you Thay taught his students, especially his um, no young novices in Hue, how to be fully present, how to live in the present moment without words. They just put into practice when they, they were with Thay. Right away they practice it. I remember that at the beginning, like Thay Pabu said, we all try to support Thay to regain speech, to regain everything. Thay sang a lot. We sang with Thay. We invited speech therapists from the, the United States to come and train Thay to speak. But with time, Thay's strength, um, Thay got weaker and weaker, and then Thay also lost his singing, his speech. But in the year 2019, Thay still had some energy and we invited the same speech therapist from the United States to come. The, la the first two days, the first two days, she was so excited because Thay improved a lot and Thay could say very clearly, Oongja, drink your tea. And the speech therapist was very excited and then she came back the next day but on the third day they just smile at her smile to her they didn't want to practice anymore and then they put his hand on her head to show his love and gratitude to her and refused to continue to practice and she because of her um air ticket, she still continued, hoping that the next day Thay will practice again until her departure. <laughs> but 
But we understood that for Thai at that time, Thai didn't need speech. And Thai felt the presence was very important. And Thai wanted to preserve his energy so that he could be present as long as he could for his students. And um, I remember when they told um, stories, I remember one story. I was coded by Thay. Uh, we were in the hermitage. At that time, Thay, uh, Thay got uh, sick, but Thay didn't have the stroke yet. We were, I was with Thay Vaphu, and I wanted Thay's place to be perfect, perfectly clean and neat. So I clean up, clean up, silently I clean up, and I didn't stop until Thay said, Đừng nghiêm, stop! Thay wanted my presence. I Thay wanted to remind me that the presence is very important. And I kept cleaning, cleaning, and I was not present for Thay. <laughs> Brother Fahu still remembers. <laughs> I've witnessed many. <laughs> for myself too. <laughs> yes, and we... we We want to do a lot for Thai. But many times Thai reminded us that the presence is, our presence is very important. Thai, Thai needed our presence. Thai, Thai didn't want to see us working, working, working all the time. Sister, just because I want, I think we're probably coming thin, but I just want to go back to one thing about Thai's passing, just, um, just to return to that moment. Um, Uh, sister, sister Daniemo, I just want to ask, at the moment of Tai's passing, when you were present with him, what was your experience? What was it that you went through at that moment? How did the teaching support you? What, what is it that was going through your sensing right at that moment and in the minutes afterwards? The second when I realized that, oh, Hey, won't go through. I panicked. It lasted for two seconds. Oh no! I couldn't be. I can't believe it because they went through moments like that many times. So that evening, I still believe that they would go through. And when the doctor. In conference call, the doctor and the nurse said that no, that he doesn't get better, and I panicked for two seconds, and right away I accepted because I've been preparing. For, I prepare for that moment, like Brother Fakhu said. In the year 2014, we were not ready, but after. Thay went through that moment. We all practiced to prepare because we knew that the moment would come. So I, after those two seconds of panic, right away I, I came back to myself 
and be ready. Yes, I'm ready. And right away, the the desire to the desire to continue to take care of they continue. So we still had many things to do, the funerals, to communicate with other centers in Plum Village. So right away, I turned to the other brothers and sisters and gone organized to clean up everything and be ready because many people would come to pay respect to Thay. So right away, we, we prepared the place. I uh, texted Sister Hin Yim, Brother Pháp And during seven days, I always kept my phone with me. Whatever happened over there, right away, I sent news to Brother Pháp I was aware that everyone far away, all Thai students far away, were waiting for news. We did, I didn't sleep, and sometimes I slept. I slept with the phone next to me. And we prepared everything and we let his body on a kind of bed for people to come and pay respect. And for one day, his body was there. We, um, after one day, we had the ceremony to invite his body into the coffin. But those 24 minutes, according to the tradition, we should have covered Thai's face. But I told the brothers and sisters, no, we don't cover. Let Thai students far away to see Thai's face for the f- last time. And then I remember the old monk, um, the senior monk in the temple, who is now like acting abbot, of our root temple, he came and he's right away he said, why should you leave his face uncovered, please? And right away he covered. And he waited, he left, and we uncovered again. <laughs> <laughs> we thought of all our brothers and sisters, our friends, in France, in the United States. We, we knew that they all turned towards Thay and wanted to see Thay for the last time. So there, there were so many things to do for Thai, and then we continued to stay in Thai's room to make sure that no one came in and... And take Thai's stuff. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> because everyone wanted to keep something as a souvenir, as like Thai's souvenir. his pillow, his blanket, yes. a scarf, a <laughs> slipper. There, there was that kind of... Um, mm grasping (laughs) and sister how were you feeling inside because you said you were busy but what was going on inside you at that moment at that moment i felt like i continue to be thai's attendant uh now i have other things to do i got i got it no we got it thai's body we got it thai's energy thai's place to keep it uh, like that, for other people to come and 
feel and enjoy. We wanted to to so I felt like yes, we continue to be Thai attendant, and now I see that we continue to to maintain Plum Village to keep Thai's energy. So we continue. And sister, my final question is: After five and a half years, you're now back in Plum Village, or we're sitting in Thai's hut in Upper Hamlet, um, and you have returned. And is it the same sister Denyam that is returned, that left? And also, what is your wish now? I mean, you've said obviously you want to continue Thai's teaching, but. What is what does it feel like to be back? How have you changed, and what is it that you would like to contribute? When I stepped back to the new hamlet, I was in tears, and now um, here and there, everywhere, I saw Thais traces, Thais footsteps. I saw souvenirs uh, from time to time. Um, tears came up. But I see that um, now I'm I'm much stronger. Before I was shy, but now I'm like a warrior. <laughs> I feel I I I feel that I have much more courage to to do whatever I need to do, uh, like. When Brother Vap, who uh, asked me to come here for this, seven years ago, I could say no. And uh, before I came back, Sister Hien Nghiem and Sister Luk Nghiem asked me um, for interviews. My questions are always yes. Now, whatever my brother and sisters ask me to do, I always say yes. I just do my best. But I will. I I don't want to say no. I want to to continue Thai to to share whatever I have received from Thai. I I feel the responsibility to share to others. I don't keep for myself. And the response. I feel the responsibility to maintain and to continue to develop what Thai has built during his whole life. So, on one hand, tears come up to me several times a day, but on the other hand, I feel much stronger. Thank you, sister, for sharing. And just to say, I mean, there there are many listeners of this podcast who would call themselves students of Thai. There are others who may be um, just learning about Buddhism. But, sister, on a personal note, just to show my and I'm sure our listeners' appreciation of your care. I mean, um, I think what we haven't, you haven't shared is just the extraordinary dedication, commitment, time, resources, effort, patience, uh, 
love, tenderness, warmth, determination. It's uh, such an honor to sit with two warriors because, you know, I see that in both of you. It's, a, a, the, you know, the courage, determination to stand up and be counted and to, to represent this extraordinary practice 2,600 years and to bring it into this moment fully alive, fully vibrant and to share it in such a beautiful way that gives permission for other people to step up and be present. It's an enormous gift. So, um, Sister Dinyam, Brother Vapu, what a pleasure to have spent this intimate time with you. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Brother Vapu. When Thay Vapu flew to Hue, and Thay hugged him, Thay held him, Thay showed his love for him. Thay and we, we all knew we were aware of his responsibility and he had to go back to the upper hamlet to take care of the Sangha. Yes. At a critical moment. Yes. I'm full of gratitude <laughs> for Brother Fafu. And, and over there we, we were all, always very proud especially during the pandemic. Plum Village was the first Buddhist center that organized... Online retreat. Yes. We were very proud. And then slowly other centers, they, they copied, they, yeah. they, they... They followed along. They followed. Yeah. How yeah. successful they were. And how beautifully yes, they were done. Amazing. Yes, yes, yes. Dear friends, thank you so much for joining us for this very intimate and moving podcast. Um, if you enjoyed it, then uh, there are plenty more to listen to and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on other platforms that carry podcasts and also on our very own Plum Village app. And this podcast was brought to you by the generous donors of the Thich Nhat Hanh Foundation. If you would like to support future episodes of the podcast and the work of the international Plum Village community, please visit www.tnhf.org slash donate. <laughs> Donut. <laughs> well, let's keep that on. That, we're not editing that out, brother. Slash donate. <laughs> I prefer donate, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much and we'll see you next time. The way out is in. <laughs> <laughs>